Hello and welcome to Kes Talks, talks for our times from the Keswick Convention. This week we're making available to you all the talks from Virtually Keswick Convention. The online event held in 2020 in place of the annual summer convention in Keswick. This means you can easily catch up on any of the talks that you might have missed. This episode brings you the fifth and final evening celebration of the week by Jeremy McCoy on Romans 5, 1 to 5. Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this, our last night of Virtually Keswick. Can you imagine we've come to the end of a week already? Um, We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 tonight. Beautiful passage, Romans 5 verses 1 to 5. So please have your Bibles open wherever you are and uh, let's hear what God has to say to us through his word. Several years ago, a submarine was rammed by a ship off the coast of Massachusetts in the United States. The submarine sank immediately and the entire crew was trapped for several days. No expense was spared to try and rescue the crew, and eventually they sent a deep-sea diver down to see if he could help. And the diver heard a tapping on the steel wall of the sunken sub. So he placed his helmet up against the side to listen in. And as he listened, he worked out that the crew were using Morse code. So he leaned in all the closer. They were tapping the words again and again, Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Now sadly, in the end, though they recovered the submarine, all six men on board were lost. But that story is almost a symbol of the age in which we live. With all the uncertainty in our world right now, with a worldwide pandemic and all the fear it produces, And all the political volatility of our world, with all the sexual confusion of our generation, and the hopelessness of secularism, our culture today is tapping out that same question as the men in their submarine. Is there any hope? Is there any hope in our world? And Paul's emphatic answer in Romans 5 is that there is a real, tangible hope. There is so much hope, in fact, that this passage is almost like a cascading waterfall of faith-filled facts that all lead to hope. Paul is saying in this passage that for the man or woman who is trusting in Jesus Christ, all roads lead to hope. For those staying close to Jesus Christ during this age of fear, all roads lead to hope. And in Romans 5, Paul brings us this hope by reminding us of the basic facts of our salvation. And he begins by saying, justification leads to hope. That's verses 1 to 2 of the passage. Justification leads to hope. Verse 1 begins with the word, therefore. And Paul is pointing back to the whole argument of Romans 1 to 4, which centers around this vital concept of justification. The word justification means to be declared righteous. It is core to our salvation. In the previous chapter, Paul explained that justification goes right the way back to Abraham. You'll remember how God told the aging Abraham to look up at the night sky and see if he could count the stars. And God made him a promise that he would have children as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
And if Abraham simply took God at his word, it would be credited to him as righteousness. That's the key phrase, Genesis 15, 6. In other words, Abraham did not have to impress God with good deeds to be in a a right relationship with him. He would be in that right relationship if he simply believed God's amazing promises. And we find ourselves in a similar situation to Abraham. If we simply accept by faith God's amazing promise that Christ paid for our sin at the cross and that he rose again to begin the new creation in our hearts, then God will credit us. He will credit our lives with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we will enter what Martin Luther famously called the Great Exchange. We hand our sins over to Jesus Christ, and we receive from him freely this gift called righteousness, a perfect record of righteousness. So if you're a Christian this evening, when when God looks at your life right now, he can say of you what he said of Jesus at his baptism. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what God says over you today. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. God is pleased with us because of Christ. We are declared righteous because of Jesus. That is justification. And justification is the bullseye of salvation. But Paul now moves on to consider the fruit of justification. How justification leads to a whole series of wonderful things ending in hope. So to begin with, Paul says, justification leads to peace with God. Verse 1 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, our previous hostility towards our Creator is over now. And we enjoy that, that beautiful Hebrew word, shalom, with God. We have peace with God. Now, the Hebrew word shalom is richer than the English word peace. Shalom is not just the absence of war. It's a sense of total inner well-being. And, of course, Paul says in other letters that, that we can experience this peace in the most troubling of circumstances. Even if we're in isolation, even if we're worried about our job and our finances or or stressed about elderly loved ones that we need to look after, we can still have this peace, this shalom with God. Paul says it's a peace that passes understanding. It's not dependent on our circumstances. That's why you could remember Paul could sing hymns in a prison cell when he was in Philippi. And in Philippians 4, he says, Present your prayers and requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you are feeling troubled today, then tap into this peace with God. Whatever happens to you in this life, and a lot can happen in this life, Your soul is hidden with Christ in God. Psalm 46 has been quoted a lot during this pandemic. Psalm 46 pictures complete disaster. 
It pictures the earth being removed and and mountains falling into the sea. It presents the worst that could possibly happen. But the psalmist says, while the whole world is in uproar, there is this river whose streams make glad the city of God. There is a constant serenity in God's presence that you and I can tap into. As a Christian writer once said, peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the presence of Christ. So justification leads to peace with God. It also leads to grace, says Paul, verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So notice here, we stand in grace. Grace is a permanent foundation in our lives, like having your feet set in the concrete of God's goodness. God doesn't just save you by his grace and then kind of move on to a performance-based contract with you and I. No, we stand in grace every day. We are not God's employees striving to be his sons and daughters. We are already his beloved sons and daughters chosen before the world began. And so we seek to please our Heavenly Father out of thankfulness for the secure relationship that we already have with Him. It's so important that we grasp this truth. Paul uses the word striving quite often to talk about the striving for holiness in our lives. And and there is real Spirit-inspired striving in all of our lives. But it's not a striving to gain God's favor. That's not what it's all about. We already have God's favor. It is a striving to please him from our settled position as sons and daughters of God. And even when we fall, we can come back to the cross in repentance and God showers his grace on us all over again. We stand in grace today. And we will never spend another moment of our whole existence outside the orbit of God's grace, his unmerited favor towards us. So justification leads to peace with God, which leads to this grace in which we stand, which then leads to hope. Verse 2 says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. God's glory will one day fill a new heavens and a new earth. And the sneering and hostility that the name of Jesus provokes in the world today will give way on that final day to bended knees and worldwide worship. And Habakkuk's prophecy will come true. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Our hope today as Christians is the hope of the glory of God. The new creation which God is preparing for us, that new creation will be wonderful. It will be breathtaking, but it will be wonderful because it will be lit up by the glory of God. So in a sense, if you're a Christian today and you're, you're only looking forward to your mansion in the sky, you are missing the whole point of the new creation. Psalm 84 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul faints for the courts of the Lord. 
The new creation will be wonderful because God's glory will light it up. There will be no need for the sun, says John in Revelation, for the Lamb will light up the heavenly city. C.S. Lewis, speaking of longings for the new creation, he said, We do not want merely to see beauty. We want to be united with beauty. We want to pass into it and become part of it. Heaven will be heaven because we will be surrounded by the glory of God, which is so wonderful. It will make every earthly pleasure seem just like a passing shadow. So Paul is saying here in this passage, justification leads to hope, the hope of the glory of God. But Paul goes on to say, not only does justification lead to hope, But even suffering leads to hope. That's verses 3 to 4 of the passage. Even our suffering leads to hope. Now, we wouldn't expect suffering to lead to hope, would we? We think that suffering leads to disillusionment, but that is categorically not what Paul is saying here. Verse 3 says, Not only so, but we also glory, there's that word again, we glory in our sufferings. And there is something exultant about Paul's language here that just doesn't seem to match the theme of suffering. But Paul wants to convince us that suffering in the Christian life is not something to kind of speak of in in whispered tones as though it was a sign that that God is disapproving of us. It is something to, to glory in just as much as we revel in the glory of God. And notice here, Paul moves seamlessly from speaking of the glory of God and the new heavens and new earth in verse 2 to the glory of suffering. But how can Paul possibly think like that? Well, we glory not because the suffering itself is pleasant. Hebrews says no suffering is pleasant at the time. But Paul is certainly not underestimating what suffering can do to our whole psyche. You remember he, he lists his own sufferings in other passages, his, his shipwrecks and beatings and, and being left for dead. You remember he talks about his thorn in the flesh and he had prayed several times again and again for God to remove that thorn and, and God said no. Paul has carried the scars of Christ on his body. He doesn't want to be glib about suffering. And the truth is, God has written some of the worst scripts for some of his best people. But Paul says here, we glory in our sufferings because of what our sufferings produce. Verse 3, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So the end result of the suffering that that God ordains, he allows in our lives, the end result of that is hope. And so we need to learn to view our suffering as Christians in a whole new way. Paul says to the Philippians, he says, it has been granted to you, it has been given to you like a gift, not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for him. Suffering chisels out perseverance and character, two wonderful traits that Christ will reward at the end of time. God achieves something in our lives through our suffering that he cannot achieve in any other way. 
Some of you may know the story of Louis Braille. There is a little all dedicated to Louis Braille in the French Academy of Sciences. An awl is a, is a sharp little instrument that is used for punching holes. And when Louis Braille was only nine years old, an awl fell on him and he lost the sight in one eye and eventually in both eyes. And the situation was so tragic that he had to be sent off to a special school by his parents. But that little awl is in the Academy of Sciences not just to remind you of the accident, but because later on, Louis Braille used that same awl to develop the, the system of punching holes in paper that has helped millions of sight-impaired people around the world to read. So that same awl that caused such suffering in Louis Braille's own life led to a wonderful invention that has blessed millions of lives in a way that could never have been imagined when Braille was blinded as a child. The suffering wasn't wanted, of course it wasn't, it wasn't welcomed, it caused huge trauma in his life, but it led to significant blessing that could not have occurred in any other way. Brothers and sisters, God produces great things in our lives, often through the suffering that he sovereignly ordains for us. Charles Spurgeon, who suffered from depression for most of his life, Spurgeon said, Most men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. God wants to view our suffering in a whole new way. Look at all the struggles in your life right now that you just wish weren't there, that you pray to God to be released from. Now start to pray, Lord, may these struggles, may these tears that I shed, may the difficulties that I face in my life lead me to develop the kind of perseverance and character that will make me just like Jesus on the last day. So Paul is saying here, justification leads to hope. And he says even suffering leads to hope. And he rounds off this passage by saying, our hope is certain. That's what verse 5 is all about. Our hope is certain. Verse 5 reads, and hope does not put us to shame. In other words, we can be confident that our hope is certain. And the reason why we know that our hope is certain is, as the verse goes on, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So our subjective experience of the love of God today is a guarantee that our hope is not a pipe dream, that we will one day bask in God's love forever. Now Paul is not talking here about an objective truth. All of the blessings he has mentioned so far are built on the objective truth of Christ dying for us as a historical event in the past. Justification is an objective reality. We have peace with God whether we feel it today or not. There is a lot of objective truth in this passage. But this love of God has been poured into our hearts and it is something that we feel. It is subjective. And of course, anytime we talk about feelings in the Christian life, it's a tricky business. Perhaps you are, are wary of talking about feelings. Let's just stick with the facts of the faith. 
not the kind of changeable, hard to quantify emotions. But God wants you to feel his love in your soul today. He has poured his love into your heart. It hasn't just been trickled in there. It has been poured like a waterfall by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It's one thing for me to say, I know that God loves me because Christ died for me 2,000 years ago. You could be thinking that, and yet you are struggling to feel love today. You don't feel God's love. And God wants you to feel his love in your soul right now. The Spirit's presence in our lives is an emotional thing, like, like David dancing for joy as he entered Jerusalem with the Ark of God. And while we don't want to build our lives purely on experience, there is a danger with that. Of course there is in pure emotionalism. Yet God wants us to experience his love. Sometimes we feel as good evangelicals, don't we, that we honor God when we are constantly bowed down by our sins and our sense of unworthiness. That's a trait that I can recognize in my own heart. And we kind of dare not to be too joyful because that wouldn't reflect an appropriate sense of repentance. But brothers and sisters, misery doesn't honor God. And this passage is jam-packed with truths that should set your heart on fire. Don't dwell on sins that have been forgiven. Dwell on the love that has forgiven them. This love is living in you now all the time. The Sky Sports Channel has a strap line which says, Feel it all. Have you ever seen that on the television? Feel it all. Now that's just talking about the emotions of football again. Paul is talking here about eternal glory. And while it's true that we cannot experience the full joy of salvation until that last day dawns, we can experience part of it here and now. Dwell on the peace that you have with your Creator. Dwell on the joy of being a redeemed son or daughter of the King. Dwell on the daily presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Dwell on the glory that is coming. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And when we get to Romans 8, Paul says, The Spirit in our lives, the Spirit testifies to our spirits that we are God's children. And if God's children, then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. God's love is not something in the past tense. God's love is live now. God wants you to be fully satisfied with his love today as you wait for that love to be fully unleashed in the world to come. Feel it all. That's what Paul's saying here. Feel it all until a new day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. All roads lead to hope for the Christian. That's what Paul's saying in this passage. Justification leads to hope. Even suffering leads to hope. And our hope is absolutely certain. May God's Spirit fill your heart with the hope 
of glory today. Let's pray together now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths in this passage. Thank you, Lord, that we have been justified by faith. Thank you for that day in our lives experience when we simply trusted in Christ as Saviour. Maybe we were children, maybe we were older than that. But thank you that at that sacred moment, you, you covered us in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you that you see us in Christ today as absolutely perfect, even though we're not. And thank you, Father, for the peace and the grace and the hope that that has led to in our lives. And Father, I pray for anyone listening tonight who is going through the mill right now, who's going through deep suffering and wondering, Father, if if you love them anymore, if you're there, if you're interested in their lives, Father, will you draw near to them by your Spirit? And will you help each one of us to understand that you allow suffering in our lives because you want to shape us into the image of your darling Son? We know that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. May we learn that too. May you develop perseverance and character in our lives. And thank you, Father, that even the suffering that you ordain leads us to hope. And Father, help us to be confident, to stand on the rock of this hope today. No matter what's going on all around us, in our world, in our families, whatever struggles we're facing right now, help us to know that we stand on the rock of Christ's finished work of salvation and the present work of the Holy Spirit pouring the love of God into our hearts today. Help us to feel that love this day and every day until Christ breaks through the clouds and takes us to be with himself forever. Thank you, Lord, for all of this week's teaching, for all that we have learned, Father. May you hide your word in our hearts, and may we be people of your pleasure in these days. And we pray this for Jesus' glory and honour. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Talks from Virtually Keswick Convention are all being made available through Kes Talks. You can access them through iTunes and Spotify, as well as your favourite podcasting apps. You can also watch the sessions via the Keswick Convention YouTube channel, or by visiting the Virtually Keswick website at vkc.keswickministries.org.